Likuti Sichais, Chelek Yudches, Volume 18, the Sichah for Chukas, Bolok, and Yudbeis, and Yud Gimel Tamus. So just as a quick introduction, there are three types of mitzvahs, Mishpatim, Edus, and Chukim. Simply translated, Mishpatim are those rational mitzvahs, or literally justifications. Edus are testimonials. And Chukim are those mitzvahs which are, quote-unquote, irrational. They're not those that the human mind can comprehend, and yet we still do them because so Hashem commanded us. Something to familiarize ourselves with that will be mentioned in the Sicha, a pasuk, a verse in Chumash Bereshis, Parshas Vayeshev, chapter 37, verse 11, where after Yosef uh, shared his dreams with his brothers and his father overheard it, it says, Vayukanu voy echov, and his brothers were jealous of him, they envied him, However, but his father kept or safeguarded this thing, meaning he kept the matter in his mind. <clears throat> Another thing to familiarize ourselves with, something that's brought in the Maimer of the Friedrich Rebbe, of the previous Rebbe, the Maimer Basil Gani, the idea of shtus, meaning irrationality, something that's beyond or below seichel, below rational. There is shtus digdusha, there's when one behaves, quote-unquote, irrationally when it comes to matters of Kedusha, of holiness, and Torah, and mitzvahs. And then there's Shtus the Klippa, where sometimes Klippa, the bad side of things, so to speak, behaves in an irrational manner. So let's get into the Sikha. That Shalah, he maintains that all the Yamim Toivim, all the festivals of the year, including those festivals that are established by the Chachamim, the Rabbinic festivals, they all connect to the parashas which are read in close proximity to their occurrence. From this it comes out, says the Rebbe, that the celebration of the liberation of the previous Rebbe on Yud Beis and Yud Gimel Tamuz has a special strong connection to the parashas of Chukas and Bolok, which are typically read in close proximity to Yud Beis and Gimel Tamuz. And to mention that this year, Yud Beis Tamuz is on the Shabbos when we're going to read Chukas and Bolok. As the Rebbe, and this, the connection to the Parsha Chukas and Balak is actually three-pronged. Number one, it's an individual connection to the Parsha of Chukas, as it is an individual Parsha. It's individual connection to Balak, as it is an individual Parsha. And then how they both come together and become one Parsha. And this is evident in the fact that when you read it together, it becomes one Parsha from the fact that all seven aliyahs, all the seven... Um, parts or chapters of the Parsha become equally distributed amongst both Parshas, thus they become one. So what's the connection to Chukas, the first Parsha? So the Rebbe says, what is Chukah? Chukah, means a statute, is that type of thing that has no quote, reason, and the only reason why we fulfill it, the only reason why we adhere to it, is because, quote, Hashem says, this is a statue that I place, this is a decree of mine, and we do it just exclusively because so Hashem says. How does this reflect in the avoida of each individual? In general, this is the idea of msidus nefesh, self-sacrifice. You see, rationale, meaning seichel, intellect, can only motivate a person to do something 
that at the end of the day is good for them and is good for the continuance of their existence. But something that jeopardizes their well-being, that's not something that Seichel can motivate you to do. And this is the reason, actually, that Chassidus explains why the mitzvah of Mesidus Nefesh, even though it was such a fundamental part of, of Yiddishkeit, yet it's not mentioned anywhere in the Torah. Why? Because Torah is Chachma. Torah is, is, quote, wisdom. It is um, um, in, in intellectual rationale. And this is beyond Chachma, and therefore it cannot be mentioned in Torah. So we see the obvious connection between Chukas and Yud Beis and Yud Gimel Tamas. Why? Because the, Alter, the, the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Rebbe, obviously acted in absolute Mesidus Nefesh. Here you have one person, one solitary person, who stood up against a mighty and fierce government, a very, very mighty and fierce government, and this was in a country that nobody can leave at their will, nobody can do anything at their will, and he did not in any way consider any whatsoever obstacles, and he acted on behalf of spreading Yiddishkeit. Now, notice, says the Rebbe, that the name of the parsha that we call it is not Chukas HaToyra, the statute of the Torah, but rather Chukas, just Chuka alone. Why? Because Chukas represents not all the Chukim of the Torah, but this specific Chuka, this specific statute, which is discussed here in this parsha, namely the Paraduma, which even in comparison to all the other Chukim in the Torah, and there are many Chukim in the Torah, this stands out as the ultimate chukah, to the extent that even Shleimah HaMelech said in regard to this, he said that that even Shleimah HaMelech said that all the other chukim in the Torah, I was able at the end of the day to master and to understand, to comprehend it intellectually, the intellect of Shleimah albeit, but still he was somebody was able to understand it but this chukah, the chukah of Paraduma, this was this was distant from me, this was beyond me. And now we can appreciate why it's called chukas and not chukas atoida. Because chukas atoida means that although, it could mean that although indeed it's a chukah, but it's still, in other words, it's in the category of a statue, in the category of something which generally cannot be understood um, by, by most people, but still on some level there is some rationale in observing it. Why? Because Seichel itself tells you, look, you may not understand it, but there is an understanding, there is a rationale, there is a reason, and that in itself, being, so to speak, having the awareness that at some level there is an understanding, that compels the person to do it. So there is a certain rationale from the Torah itself, so to speak, even most chukim, to compel the person to do it. But Chukah Sapara is, even in comparison to all the other Chukim, or the Torah itself, it makes no sense. There is no whatsoever logic. It, in, in, in other words, it is Hepech It's antithetical to the rationale. And that is the idea of Chukah. That you have Chukah Torah and you have Chukas. Like the Rebbe says, the name of the parasha is only Chukas. Where do you see the parallel in the Sirius Nefesh? says the Rebbe, there's two types of Mesiris Nefesh. There's one type of Mesiris Nefesh where a person is absolutely dedicated to Torah and Mitzvahs, and he is ready for Mesiris Nefesh. However, the person looks into 
so to speak, to see if this particular situation obligates, calls for Mesidus Nefesh. Then there is a second type of Mesidus Nefesh, which you make absolutely no consideration whatsoever, no Cheshbenus whatsoever, and you do it because this is what your Etzem HaNefesh calls for. This stems for, from the essence of, from the source, from the essence of the soul, which is beyond Torah, as we know that it says that Machshaftan Shal Yisrael Kod Melachol Dover, that the thought of the Yidden, meaning the thought of the Nishama of the Yidden, preceded everything, even Torah. That means that Etzem Hanishama is higher even the Torah, because this represents the connection, that is the bond that's between the Nishama and Hakadosh Baruch Hu, which is obviously greater than Torah. And this was the type of Mesidus Nefesh. Of the Friedrich Rebbe. And the Rebbe point, uh, details now. He goes into, he, he explains it. You see, the spreading of the Torah of the Friedrich Rebbe really involved many different types of activities. Sending Rabbonim and Shoichtim to places where they, where, they, where they were needed to establish mikvois, to establish yeshivas and institutions of learning for higher learning for older individuals like older Bachrim or older people and then there was what he was mostly involved with and this was with the thorn in their eye of the communists and this is really ultimately the reason why they arrested him was the spreading of Torah amongst little children to establish chadorim, to establish little institutions of learning for little children, even just to learn Aleph base. For this, he gave himself over. Now, the truth is, one can ask and say, one minute. It's true that it's important to spread Yiddishkeit, to strengthen the learning of Torah, but why endanger everything? Why put everything in danger? To jeopardize the whole entire harbatzas atayda, the whole entire spreading of Torah because of your insistence on learning with little children. As we said, the the government at the end of the day would have looked the other way and somewhat tolerated his activities had it just remained exclusive to the adults. But because he was learning with little kids, that's what jeopardized everything. And moreover, the question could be: at the end of the day, little children are not obligated. To study Torah. It's adults who are obligated to study Torah. So how do you jeopardize potentially, which actually happened, the study of Torah and the fulfillment of mitzvahs of adults because your insistence on learning with little children? And the answer is because the Friedrich Rebbe's work was not in a manner of rationale. It was in a way of chukas, of mesidus nefesh, without any whatsoever consideration and calculation. Knowing that he is the leader and he is responsible for the existence of Klal Yisrael and for the future of the existence of Klal Yisrael. And he knew that this is dependent on the study of Torah of little children. So there was no way that he can do otherwise. And he threw himself into it, even though this was going to, and it did, jeopardize potentially all of the study of Torah of the adults and so on. You can ask, but it doesn't make sense. Because if you would have looked at it rationally, there was no potential for success. They kept on getting closed down all the time. And certainly there was no uh, potential for continuity. Even if they did have some minor successes, it wouldn't have lasted too long. Still, this did not deter the Rebbe in any way because he was acting 
based on his Mesidus Nefesh, which is, again, like we said, Chukas, which is beyond, which is beyond any whatsoever rationale. Now, says the Rebbe, if we look at the fl- life of the previous Rebbe, meaning his activities, his work, with Klal Yisrael, you can basically divide it, you can break it down into three Tkufas, into three equal time periods, chapters of 10 years each. You have the 10 years, more or less, that he operated in Russia under the Soviet Union of the Communists. Then you have the 10 years that he operated in Europe, primarily in Poland. And then you have the 10 years that he operated in the United States of America. Now in Soviet Union, under the Communists, this was Mesidus Nefesh Bepoyul Mamish. Actual Mesidus Nefesh. Literally, they were constantly facing the danger of literally being killed in a literal sense. Then later when he left Russia, when he was already amongst, quote, his brethren, there he had another type of challenge, a different type of Mesidus Nefesh. And that is, uh, uh, the Rebbe quotes the passage that we mentioned in the introduction, that he quote, his brothers were jealous of the True, they were his brothers. They were not enemies like the uh, communist war enemies to Yiddishkeit. They were, so to speak, his own colleagues, but they did not agree with, they did not see eye to eye with the methods and the, and the, and the uh, ideology of the previous Rebbe in spreading Torah and and they, uh, many people were against it. They kept on asking all kinds of questions and all kinds of challenges. But the Rebbe, knowing that, quote, the Aviv Shomar Sadover, that, quote, his father safeguarded this, meaning that he receives orders from his father, his father in heaven, he kept on acting and he kept on doing his activities with Mesidus Nefesh. And then the third time per- period, the th- third phase of his Avoida was in America which over there already you had those, here in America you had those who argued America is Andesh, that America is different. He argued America is Nisht Andesh, America is no different. And here required an extra amount of strength to go against a powerful current, to go against the waves, to go against the currents. And still yet, he did it with Mesidus Nefesh. Says the Rebbe, as we said, all these three periods tie in with Mesidus Nefesh, but still, you can, if you start to match one against the other, it's obvious that each one has its own uniqueness. You see, the time period that he was in the Soviet Union, you cannot compare the other two time periods. This was actual, active uh, threat of danger all the time. And it was a terrible Mesidus Nefesh. It was an, I mean, an astounding Mesidus Nefesh, not only for himself, because it kept on being life-threatening, but moreover, the fact that it was a danger for all those that the Rebbe sent into the field, which for him was not an easy feat. Moreover, the Rebbe says, every time one person was arrested because of these activities, on the same day or the next day, the Rebbe sent out another person as hard as it was for him to send someone in the active line of danger, yet he sent somebody out in serious nefesh to continue to pick up right where the other person left off and to continue the work. This was something which is an extreme Mesidus Nefesh, and therefore you can't compare it to the other two time periods. However, on the other hand, if you look at it, in the second time period where he had to contend and he had to deal with the jealousy and the, the um, animosity 
from, quote, his brethren in some sense that was even more difficult than the challenge that he had in the Soviet Union. Because if you think about it, when you're facing an enemy, it's sometimes easier to find the strength in yourself. But when you're facing, so to speak, a friend, a colleague, there it's very difficult to stand up against it. These are people that officially are like-minded. And yet, the Fridikareva acted in absolute Mesiris Nefesh. And then the third period, says the Rebbe, has its own difficulties and challenges, even compared to the first two. Because here, required to go against the current and to not allow, not to become the spoil, not to become deterred by all the jesters, by all the scorners, which in a way is even more difficult than the first two uh, phases of Mesiris Nefesh. Now, normally, normally, it's not common that somebody should be able to equally, uh, uh, equally act in a matter of Mesiris Nefesh in all three different types, because each one is characteristically different. These three phases we just described to act in the same way of Mesiris Nefesh. But by the Rebbe, we find by him it was the same mode of Mesiris Nefesh. It didn't change from one phase from one time period to the other, from one phase of his avoided to the other, from one period of 10 years to the other. It was always exactly the same, seamless Mesiris Nefesh, equally in all, the three, in, all the three, in all the three time periods, and that is the connection to Chukas. Now the connection to Balak. What is Balak? What does Balak represent? So the Chazal tell us that Balak hated the Jews so much, almost for the sake of hatred. In other words, he really wasn't threatened by them. He knew that they're not coming for his land, but yet he just couldn't tolerate the Jewish people. And therefore he went to extremes in order to try to do away with them. And when he saw that he himself can't, he went even to go higher Bilam just to try to hurt the Jewish people. And this connects especially to Yud Beis and Yud Gimel Tammuz, because like the Rebbe himself writes, the previous Rebbe writes, that really according to the Soviet law, According to the Constitution, it is permitted, it is allowed, it is legal to teach Torah and to want to choose how they want to live their life religiously. But yet, what was the reason that those people did it? Those people went against the law. They went against, so to speak, their own statutes because they just could not stand. They could not tolerate, as the previous Rebbe writes, they just couldn't tolerate a from Yid. And the same like it was by Bullock. Now what happened at the end with Balak? He had not only did he not succeed, but as a result of his actions, the Eden got the greatest of blessings and the greatest of prophecies. So too happened in Yudbeis Yudgimel Tamuz. That because these people were acting in a manner of Balak, you know, hatred for the sake of hatred itself, not because it was the, the law called for it, not even their law, but because they just could not stand them. They just hated the Eden. What happened by the end that they themselves were the ones that later helped the Friedrich Rebbe leave the country. So now we have the connection to Chukas, to Balak, and now we come to the connection of Chukas and Balak together. So the Rebbe says that ultimately, if you examine the opposition that Balak had to the Yidden, you still can find some kind of rationale. Although we just said that it's hatred for the sake of hatred itself, but still, Pollock did give an argument. And he said, That he said, look, these people are going to come now and they're going to, quote, lick up. That means they're going to destroy 
the surrounding areas around my country, true, they won't come into my country, but they're going to cause damage, a damage almost like when an ox licks, meaning when an ox eats from the grass, it doesn't regrow, it just destroys it. They're going to cause a lot of destruction. In other words, he had some motive which still goes into some rationale. So if Balak in itself is not the ultimate symbol of baseless hatred, of shtus, of, of irrational hatred, but when you put chukas and bolok together, you take the word chukas and attach it to bolok, now this represents hatred without any reason whatsoever. Baseless hatred, irrational hatred, or hatred beyond any rationale. And you find it, you see it in the story. He was so determined to get back, to get the Yidin hurt, that even after Bilam told him, listen, I can't do this. I can't. I'm not going to be able to curse them. I can only bless them. Still, he insisted and he insisted and he tried every which way in order to try to get Bilam to find maybe he can get an opportunity to curse them. And this we see in the avoid of each and every person. That we have, like the, like the Frida Kareba brings in the Maimur of Asi Gani that he wrote for his Yom Lula. Over there he brings the difference, the contracts between Shtus the Klippa and Shtus the Kedusha. The irrationality of Klippa of the negative side and the irrationality of, quote, Kedusha of the holy side. There are those things he brings, for example, that although they have no particular reason, but they're so set in stone, he gives the example of the time that people have for eating, for, for sleeping, for leisure, that even if a person pushes it off a little bit, but they'll never push it off totally, because at the end of the day you have to eat, at the end of the day you have to drink, at the end of the day you have to sleep. Those, that, whether it makes sense or not, but there's nothing, there's no rationale in the world that can make you push off eating and, and, and drinking and sleeping altogether. But when it comes, for example, to your Toyota learning, well, that gets pushed off, and sometimes not only a little bit, but it gets totally and absolutely pushed off. What is the the way to counter this? That when you have the avoid of shtus dikdusha, that's when you totally counter it and you're able to re uh, redirect the shtus klipa. And this is the manner in which we saw the geula of yud beis and yud gimel tamas. What happened? The the person lulav. Who one of the main people who came to arrest the Rebbe, he himself was a, was a Yid. Not only was a Yid, but he was a grandson of a Chassid. His father was a Chassid. He himself, unfortunately, went off the way. When he was, was escorting the Friedrich Rebbe out of his apartment, out of his building, so the Friedrich Rebbe was carrying a little um, valise, a little, a little suitcase. And he, he wanted to take it, and he grabbed it. He said, Rebbe, my, you know, Chassidim remain Chassidim. My grandfather carried your grandfather's bags. I will carry your bags. And the Rebbe, in other words, he called him Rebbe. He knew who he was. He knew exactly that this was his Rebbe. In other words, his real um, uh, a point of reference was that the Rebbe is a Rebbe and he has to be respected. And if he's a Rebbe, that means what he's doing is correct. But yet he couldn't help himself. And even after the Rebbe warned him, the Rebbe told him, that at the end, you're going to meet a very, very miserable end. For all that you're doing now, this is not going to play well for you. Which actually at the end, as the Rebbe brings in the Sikh in parentheses, actually happened. The same government that they were representing, and they riled up against the Friedrich Rebbe and all the other Yidin, was the same one that turned against them and then, whatever, did to them what they did to them. But still, he continued with the arrest. In other words, this is an act of shtus. It made no sense. It was irrationally to what he knew, to his point of reference, and to the warnings that he was getting from the person that he called Rebbe. And yet he continued doing it. 
But because by the Rebbe, there was this chukas bolok, that it was a chukah, it was without any whatsoever rationale. Therefore, at the end, what happened? Not only was he released, but like we said, they themselves were the ones who helped him, assisted him in, live, in leaving this big jail called the Soviet Union.